Well, good morning, saints. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Kelton. I also serve as one of the pastors here at Stafford Baptist Church. It's a delight to, to gather with you this morning to worship our, our promise-keeping God. We continue in worship now by, by hearing God's word proclaimed. So please open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12, where we're going to be in, uh, starting in verse 10. Genesis 12.10 all the way through chapter 13. Genesis 12.10 to 13.18, the, the blessings that cannot be lost. Everyone, everyone has felt the sting of a promise broken. Campaign platforms, wedding vows, or the the simple, I'll be there, I promise. Every one of us has made promises that, that we've broken and have had promises made to us that have been broken. Even when we are completely sincere, things happen that are outside of our control and we're, we're simply unable to fulfill what we have promised. So broken promises are, are sadly a familiar part of living in a broken world. So we learn to handle promises with a, a justified skepticism. What would be tragic though, is to bring that skepticism to God's promises. God's word is filled with promises to his people, but the circumstances of our lives often threaten those promises. We wonder, with so many broken promises in this world, how can God make certain that his promises are always good? How can we be sure that what God promises will come to pass? Well, to answer that question, we turn in our text this morning to the story of Abram. Last week, we started his story, the the first patriarch, a, a pagan nobody in a faraway land who was called by God and given very great promises of land, seed, and and blessing. And after receiving these very great promises and starting in very great faith, well, now this week that faith is put to the test. Trials come, as they always do. God's promises to Abram are are threatened. I trust this morning that we will see in the life of Abram and, and learn for our own hope that God will providentially protect all those who are to inherit his promises. Despite whatever danger, our confidence as Christians is that that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. That he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. We trust that God will protect all those who have received his promises. We're going to start today by reading the entire text, and then I'll lead us in a prayer for illumination. So let's read, starting in Genesis 12, 10. 
Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai. Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that that time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we, we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offsprings forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our promise-making, promise-keeping God, we come to you this morning to plead your promises once again. 
Lord, you have given us your spirit. Lord, the same spirit that inspired this word to Moses generations ago. And we pray that this morning that you would keep your word, that you would reveal to us yourself. Lord, as we come to study this story of, of Abram's journeys, Lord, that you would fuel our faith to trust in your very great promises. It's in Christ's name that we pray this. Amen. Well, the main idea of our passage is that God providentially protects those who are to inherit his promises. God providentially protects those who are to inherit his promises. In the passage we just read, I count no less than four clear threats to the promises of of land, seed, and blessing. The promise that Abram had just received at the beginning of chapter 12. And despite Abram's faltering faith and his fear, God rules over all these events so that, so that his promises to Abram remain certain. God's promises are not mere predictions of what fate may bring about. They are statements of what he himself will do. God providentially protects those who are to inherit his promises. And we'll have five points this morning and finish with them some application. Our five points, famished by famine, that in 1210, my sister Sarai stolen in 1211 through 131, the land in an open hand, 132 through 9, settled in the cities of sin, 1310 through 13, and finally guarded by God there at the end, 1314 through 17. Famished by famine, my sister Sarai stolen, the land in an open hand, settled in the cities of sin, and finally guarded by God. Let's start back in in verse 10, and our first point, famished by famine. Verse 10 starts, now there was a famine in the land. The, The land of Canaan was dependent on rainfall, and apparently this time it was slow in coming. You immediately understand the problem that a famine poses, right? With no food and water, you won't live long. So a famine threatens Abram and and Sarai's life, who have no heir born to them yet. But God had promised, hadn't he, that that they would have offspring so that his family would become a, a great nation, So right off the bat here in verse 10, we we have to consider what should Abram do? He has been promised children and and this land in famine, but his life is already at risk. Well, Abram decides there in verse 10, decides to leave the land and, and go south to Egypt. Egypt had the advantage of being watered by the Nile. Abram's intent isn't to stay there. He means to to sojourn there, not make it his home. Well, Moses' narrative doesn't assess this decision, but I want to take a moment to consider it. Should Abram have rather stayed in Canaan? We have the advantage of the, the whole Bible to consider. You know, there are other famines in the book of Genesis. Isaac... Abram's son faces famine in in Genesis 26. 
and is told by God specifically not to go to Egypt. The book of Genesis ends in another famine. Genesis 43.1 says, The famine was severe in the land. Sounds familiar. And here, instead of telling what he tells Isaac not to go to Egypt, God tells Jacob to go to Egypt. This is what God says to, to Jacob in Genesis 46.3. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Well, what are we seeing here? In famine, God sometimes sends his people to Egypt. Sometimes he doesn't. Certainly, God can provide for his people no matter what, famine or not. We're reminded of this this everywhere in the Bible. I read the story this week of God providing manna from heaven, quail on the wind, water from a rock to Israel wandering in the desert. We read in in Bible study this Wednesday night of another drought in 1 Kings 17 when God provided food for Elijah by by ravens. It's clear in Psalm 33 verses 18 and 19 that God keeps alive in famine. There the psalmist writes, Behold, the eyes of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Those who fear the Lord are kept alive in famine by that Lord. Sometimes we have to say he keeps alive in famine by sending his people to Egypt where he is providing water through a river. But sometimes he does that by spilling water from a rock in the middle of a desert. What's, what's the point? Well, it's wherever, whenever, brothers and sisters, God providentially protects those who are to inherit his promises. God is sovereign over the rivers of Egypt and the ravens of Elijah. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but, but God's reliability is tied to his sovereignty. Paul Tripp puts it this way. The reliability of God's promises of grace is only as great as the extent that he is sovereign. The reliability of God's promises of grace is only as great as the extent that he is sovereign. It wasn't that that God made promises to Abram, but when the land dried up, he he said to Abram, well, well, this is is above my pay grade. You'll have to figure this one out on your own. No. God can guarantee his promises of grace because he is completely sovereign over famine and every other danger. He can provide for his people no matter what. God's promises are not mere predictions of what some other power may bring about. No, his promises are statements of what he himself has power to do. So I think then verse 10 
is a sign of Abram's floundering faith. After his very great faith that brought him all the way from Ur to to Canaan, a thousand-mile journey, his faith seems to be shaken. What I wish we saw in verse 10 was Abram asking God, calling out to his name, what should I do? Your promises seem threatened. Help me in my unbelief. Maybe God would send him to Egypt. Or maybe God would provide water from a rock or send ravens to feed him. But Abram doesn't inquire with God at all. We have no indication that he thinks about God in the least. He takes things into his own hands and he goes down to Egypt. And when he gets there, he continues to trust his own plans for his own protection. Let's look at the next scene and our second point, my, my sister Sarai stolen in verses 11 and following. On the way to Egypt, he explains his plan to his wife. Sarai is beautiful, and this is not just flattery. He's, he's worried when in Egypt that they'll think that she's beautiful too and, and decide to kill him, like we see David do with Uriah and Bathsheba later. Here is a, another threat to God's promises, the evil men of Egypt. Life threatened not only by famine, but now by wicked men. So Abram comes up with a cunning plan to protect himself. In verse 13, say you are my sister. Verse 13 is quite telling and and shows just how far his thoughts are from what God has has promised. You see in, in verse 13, he understands that things will go well for him He says, because of you, Sarai. What about God's promise? I will bless you. Things will go well for you, Abram, because of Yahweh. Well, now in verse 13, he considers Sarai as the security of his good, not God's promises. Not a thought of God on his mind, He has his own plan for securing his blessing. So in verse 14, they enter Egypt with a cunning plan to protect himself in place. And of course, the Egyptians find Sarai beautiful, report this to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Seems like it's going well so far, but this is where his plans go south. Sure, he isn't murdered. He's kept alive. Instead, his wife is stolen. Kings had had large harems, women who belonged to the king as as low-status wives, as concubines. The king had power to take any woman he wanted, like Esther will later in the Bible. And Sarai, Abram's wife, because... Pharaoh thought it was just his sister, is taken into Pharaoh's harem. More threats to God's promises. Do do you see why this is a problem, a threat to the promise? First famine, then evil men, now now this. Sure, they're, they're both alive, 
But how is it that Abram is going to have a child if his wife is now the wife of another, stolen by Pharaoh? Abram's cunning plan has utterly backfired. The promise of God not in danger by murder, but his wife stolen. Something he couldn't predict. Well, despite the danger, in verse 16, God uses it for good. He's enriched there by his association with with Sarai. All kinds of wealth are given to him, tons of animals. The female donkeys, excuse me, mentioned there are are the BMWs of his day, luxurious transportation. Well, we see that God is being faithful to his promise. Despite whatever danger, I will bless you. And and more than that, God is at work despite Abram's cunning plan to, to protect Sarai too. You see that in verse 17, the first explicit mention of of the Lord, what God is doing behind the scenes. When Sarai is powerless, at the mercy of a great king, unable to do anything, God acts. God providentially protects those who are to inherit his promises. God afflicts Pharaoh and his house with, with great plagues, with diseases. Since Sarai was a part of Pharaoh's house, maybe it was that, that everyone but her was afflicted, and obviously they notice. Well, what, whatever the case, Pharaoh inquires and figures out the ruse. He calls Abram and rebukes him. Why did you do this? Take her and, and go. We hear no defense from Abram, rebuked by a pagan. So Pharaoh orders his men, and they escort Abram, his wife, and everything he has out of Egypt, back to Canaan. So in the first verse of chapter 13, they're, they're back in the promised land. More than just alive, but, but rich. And no thanks to Abram's schemes. All thanks to God's providential protection. Friends, what was, what was Abram's major defect here? And it wasn't his lying. Yes, technically, Sarai is his sister. We learn later in, in chapter 20 that Sarai is his half-sister. But his half-truth and deception is not the, the major defect of this story. No, it was, it was his failure to believe God's very great promises. It was a failure to take God's promise of of land, seed, and blessing and and to rub them into the circumstances of his life. Sure, Abram didn't know how God would work all these things out in his life, but he should have known and trusted that God would. These promises should have cast out the fear of man, but But instead, he acted as if God's promises were were not enough. This situation called for his ingenuity. He had God's promises, but but didn't let them control himself in a dangerous situation. Does that sound familiar? 
Stafford Baptist, isn't that so true of us too? Instead of rubbing God's promises into the circumstances of our life, we, we forget to inquire with God. We live with anxiety, with fear, with faltering faith. But even, even when we live by sight and, and not by faith, God providentially protects us. This is his pattern with, with Abram, with all the generations who are to inherit his promises, with us as well. Think about it this way for a moment. Moses wrote this book, Genesis, sometime after the Exodus, before the wandering generation inherited the land. Now put yourself in their shoes and listen to the story again. It's the story of famine leading God's people to Egypt, where they're taken to be slaves, but delivered through plagues and sent away rich back into the promised land where they worship God. Sound familiar? Abram's journey here in these verses sounds just like the Exodus story. What God did with Abram, without a bit of his understanding, in fact, without his cooperation, was the pattern of what God would do with a whole generation in the later Exodus. So as Moses writes this story, with the benefit of hindsight for his generation and for ours today, he does so to prove the steady faithfulness of God. As God did with Abram, God did with Israel, he does so with all generations. God is steady and unchanging in his gracious protection to those who receive his promises. The the truth is that, that those who are truly his by promise can't sin or scheme their way out of his goodness. His mercy is greater than our sin. So, brothers and sisters, what dangers do you face? What causes you worry or fear in your walk with Jesus? The word of God for you today is is not first act, but believe. We We will get to act later, but first trust God's good promises for you. Rest on the fact that he personally guarantees your protection. When famine comes, when evil men threaten, when your plans fail, God is at work. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, Paul says to the Philippian church. He does not abandon what he starts He didn't make these promises to Abram and and cut loose when the famine came. You too, if by grace have been united to Christ, he will see that in you his work is finished, no matter what danger comes, even through faltering faith, as we see, see so clearly in the life of Abram. Let's continue his story for our encouragement in our third point, the land in an open hand, in 13.2. 
God had been faithful to his promise to bless Abram. He is very rich here in verse 2, the beginning of a, a great nation. In his journey home, Abram heads back to where he had, had visited on his first journey through the land. You see there at the end of verse 3, he gets to, to between Bethel and, and Ai, the site of where he had previously built an altar to God. And when he gets there, he calls upon the name of the Lord in verse 4. I think this is a sign that, that Abram's faith, seeing how God providentially protected him, his faith is, is renewed. I think he's doing what he, he should have done at first, before leaving Egypt. Worshipping Yahweh at the altar, calling on the name of the Lord in the land of Canaan. But his new prosperity brings new challenges. Lot, his nephew, had, had gone with him to Egypt and, and was blessed along with Abram because of it. The story goes that there's, there's simply too much livestock between the two of them to live on the same patch of land. It's leading to, to quarrels between their, their herdsmen, not to mention with the fact that they have to deal with the, the Canaanites, the, the Perizzites dwelling in the land. So, Abram proposes a solution. And I think we should see his, his solution as an act of renewed faith. Well, what, what does he suggest? Well, well, he kindly offers to his nephew the best of the land. It was Abram's right as, as patriarch, as the one who inherited the promises, to do with the land as he liked. But Abram takes the initiative and, and lets Lot decide. Consider, though, they're in Canaan. They're in the, the very land that God has promised to Abram's family. And here, Abram is offering it to Lot. Sure, Lot's a, a relative, but, but this land is for Abram's children. You take the left, he says, I'll go right. You take the right, I'll, I'll go left. It's, it's your choice, Lot. Well, is this a, another threat to God's promise? The land in danger of being taken by a different family. Well, I think we should see this as an act of faith. Abram believes that this land will be given to his family. Before, when he went to Egypt, Abram tried to manipulate the situation. But here he holds the land with an open hand. He has confidence in God's promise. And he can trust God to fulfill it without need for his ingenuity. So Abram is generous and humble, and he leaves the results to God. You know, one day Abram will do something similar with his son Isaac, the promised child. He'll offer him up in Genesis 22. Abram, again, relying on God's promise. Brothers and sisters, the fruit of true faith in God is the ability to give God control when things seem not to be going our way. Abram trusted the land with, with open hand to God. And God continues 
to fulfill his promise to providentially protect. Look again at at verse 10 in our, our fourth point, settled in the cities of sin. With the offer of the best of the land in in verse 10, Lot looks up. He sees that the the valley of the Jordan River is well watered like Egypt, like the Garden of Eden was. So after their experience with famine, his thinking makes sense. He, He chooses the Jordan Valley right on the edge of the promised land. But it's an ominous choice. Moses adds a note there at the end of verse 10, pointing to what will happen in in Genesis 19. The cities of this valley will be destroyed. In verse 11, Lot journeys east. And in verse 12, he, he settles among these cities. For the careful reader of Genesis, this is this is an echo. Who else in the book of Genesis has gone east? Well, Adam and Eve, driven from the garden, go east. Cain, the murderer, settled east of Eden, away from the presence of the Lord, where he built cities. In Genesis 10, the people migrate east, and where they settle, they build the city of Babel. It is likewise one day destroyed. The cities of the east for Moses are a literary signal, and it's not a good one. Verse 13 makes it clear. Lot's new neighbors are particularly wicked, great sinners, he says, settled in the cities of sin. Well, how did did that happen? While Abram is walking by faith, Lot lived by sight. Verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw, and what he saw allured him. Instead of deciding to to stay with Abram, the focal point of of God's blessing, Lot chose what, what looked good, but what was truly wicked and destined to be destroyed. So Christian, let this be your regular reminder that sin is deceptive. It hides its price tag. Often what looks good brings destruction. Like Eve's sight of the apple, the woman saw the fruit, that it was a delight to the eyes. But it hid its true nature. God means for us to believe what he he says rather than what we see. We live by faith and not by sight. But even in this, even in Lot's choice of Sodom, God is providentially protecting Abram. Lot willingly goes outside of Canaan, keeping the land for Israel. If Lot had chosen different land, maybe, maybe Abram would be the one settling in the cities of sin. But Abram is kept from the temptations that will come for Lot and his family. Abram is safely in the land, having been guarded by God every step of the way. God is faithful to his promises. Look with me at, 
At the final verses in our fifth point, guarded by God. There in verse 14, in contrast to Lot, God directs Abram to lift up his his eyes, to look in every direction and see the land around him. Everywhere that he can see will be the land that God will give to him and his offspring. This is already the third time that God has reiterated this promise to Abram of, of land. God goes on in verse 16 to reiterate the, the promise of seed. His family will be as numerous as the dust of the earth, if you could count it. Obviously, it's a, a bit of hyperbole. The point is that there will be a lot. And so in verse 17, God instructs Abram to walk the land, its length and, and breadth. Ancient property transfers were, were finalized when the new owner would, would walk the land. Yes, the land is still occupied, but, but on God's promise, the land is as good as his. And in response, in verse 18, Abram worships. A third altar to the Lord, a little place in Canaan of God's presence. Abram is safely in the land, having been guarded by God every step of the way. God is faithful to his promise. Through every choice in in distrust or trust, God providentially protects those who are to inherit his promises. Brothers and sisters, how is it, how do you know that as a Christian, that God's promises won't fail you? How do you know that something won't happen that makes all of what God has promised null and void? Might sound like a silly question. The security that we have in Christ endures through every danger. Listen to how 1 Peter 1 describes the security of our inheritance as Christians. Not of of land, but of salvation, eternal life in heaven. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Christians have an inheritance, like like Abram, that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Whatever threatens our inheritance, it will not be effective. And Peter grounds this in in God's power. Peter says, by God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation. The same power that supernaturally guarded Abram and Sarai as they journeyed keeps you too for your inheritance. This, friends, is at the, the center of the hope that we have in Christ Not that we have power to keep ourselves, but that he has the power to keep us. The good news of the New Testament is 
is better than the promises of of simple land, seed, and, and blessing. It's to be blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. As we read in in Ephesians 1, it's to be sealed with the the promised Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possessions of it. It's not ours yet, but it is kept in heaven for us. We have the guarantee of it, the seal of the Holy Spirit. On God's promise, it's as good as ours. And we receive this blessing, brothers and sisters, not because of anything that we have done, but in spite of all the evil, in spite of our floundering faith. You see, we in our sin deserve God's judgment. We've been created by God to to love and to serve Him, but, but we've instead chosen to love and serve ourselves. God would be just to punish our evil. But instead, in faithfulness to his promise, he sent his son to to live the life we ought to have lived and die in our place as a substitute on the cross. And now because that son is is risen from the dead, we can receive forgiveness and, and eternal inheritance simply by faith in his death for us and repentance from our sin. We now live by faith and not by sight until we acquire possession of our inheritance. If you're with us this morning and and don't have this kind of faith, I would would love to talk to you more after our service. Please please find me. But but for those who, who do have this faith, the call for us this morning is to live by faith. Live by faith in the the promises of God, knowing that He providentially protects those who are to inherit these promises. Well, what what does that look like? I want to conclude with three short examples. What does it look like for us as Christians to live by faith in His promises? To learn from Abram to, to rub the promises of God into the circumstances of our lives. So three examples. Applying the promises of God in faith. First promise, God cares for you. The New Testament promises in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties because He cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. The promise, he cares for you. Our act of faith, cast all your anxieties on him. Imagine if if we had a record of Abram seeking God in prayer for all the anxieties he faced in famine. We too live by faith, by turning to God in prayer, trusting the promise that he cares for us. A care that is not just a feeling of love, but acts to care for us. And our prayer is the chief exercise of our faith, expression of humility and and dependence on God. So brothers and sisters, like Abram, what anxieties do you face? 
What would faith in the promise, he cares for you, look like in the face of those anxieties? This care has has been proven without a doubt at the cross, where your greatest need, more than food and water, has been met completely. The first exercise of faith in God's promise, prayer. Another example, second promise, you are being made new. The promise that you are being made new. Colossians chapter 3, 9 and 10, do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have been, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The promise that we have as Christians is that the old self has been put off, that a new self has been put on, that we are being renewed in the image of our creator. And because we have been made new, we are being made new, we don't lie. Abram took matters into his own hand, hands in Egypt, telling a, a half-truth to protect him from what threatened God's promises. What would faith in God's promises look like? A change of identity has already occurred in, in the lives of Christians. Your old self put off, your new self put on. So I ask, does your behavior including telling the truth, match your new identity. The promise is you are being renewed after the image of your creator. Believe, and therefore, don't lie. He cares, he renews, and and third promise, he never leaves. He never leaves. Abram was able to hold the land with an open hand by faith, He humbly trusted God's promises, even even over his own ability to keep it. We too have the opportunity by faith to hold the things of the world with an open hand. Listen to Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, where we're told to keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We have a promise here. God will never leave us nor forsake us. He is our helper. What can man like Lot do to us? So by faith in that promise of God's presence, of his help, he tells us to be content with what we have. We hold the world's goods, money, power, reputation with an open hand because we have something far, far better than money or more stuff. God himself forever. He cares. He renews. He never leaves for us to walk in by faith. And friends, that is, that is just a taste. We can only pick three, but there are thousands of promises in the Bible. By some counts, there are more than 8,000 promises in all of Scripture. So Christian, mine God's words for his precious promises and believe them. 
Rub them into the circumstances of your life because God is faithful to keep them. How do we know that God's promises for us will not fail? We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It is there, ready, ready for you to inherit it. Like Abram, we will be kept through every threat against our spiritual inheritance, every blessing we have in Christ. Brothers and sisters, our God is faithful by His power to protect all those who are to inherit His promises. His blessings cannot be lost. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise You for giving us the faith to see your hand in the lives of those who, who prove your faithfulness. In Abram, who, who walked by faith and not by sight. So, our Father, we pray that you would grant us the, the same faith this morning to walk in confidence of your promises. That we would, would cling to your promises in all the circumstances of our lives, knowing that whatever threatens us, you will providentially protect us. And we thank you, Father, that this is secured for us, not because of, of our deserving, not because of our goodness, but because of your mercy in Christ. That all of your promises are yes and amen in him because of his death for us, for our sins on the cross. Give us grace, Father, as your body to to stand as children of the promise, to fix our eyes this morning on our reward, Christ in eternal life. Grant us grace to walk by faith and not by sight. It's in, it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.